0: joining Truth is Now Treason with Dietrich and Lennox and I'm Lennox.
1: I'm Dietrich.
0: Welcome traders to our second episode of I Think My Life Needs Gorilla Glue. In this series we are looking at dealing with brokenness. Everyone deals with brokenness at some point in his or her life. It's inevitable. And when you are broken, it feels like Gorilla Glue just won't fix you. We know the world rejects the broken. It only accepts its own version of perfection. And that version of perfection can change on a minute by minute basis. And it's impossible to be that good and it makes life feel tough all around. What can make things even worse is when we are broken because someone that we thought loved us or hurts us. It's bad enough when it's an enemy, but when it's a friend or a family member delivering the pain to us, it hurts in ways that we cannot deal with. And I remember when I experienced brokenness of my own, it was devastating and it seemed like an eternity for me to get through because it did take several years to get past some of my heartaches that I experienced. I was hurt by multiple people and this rejection happened in every facet of my life. It all happened at the same time too. I was rejected by family, friends, church leaders, my boss, co-workers. It really seemed that I was all alone and I would be lying if I said that I didn't have suicidal thoughts because I did. But God helped me to discover a program designed specifically to help those who are hurting, which we will mention which we will talk about more in our next episode. And I was able to forgive those who had hurt me and was able to move on with my life. But what I didn't know at the time was that I probably hurt myself more than anyone ever hurt me. Just by rehashing those hurtful events in my mind over and over and over again.
1: Have you ever had an experience like that? you ever had a relationship where the other person was dragging you down? Where it got so bad that they were actually throwing you under the bus? You know, the very first relationship that is mentioned in the Bible is a toxic relationship. It's a classic tale of one spouse throwing the other under the bus. Adam and Eve are the first family, and they're also the first dysfunctional one, too. They both had sinned by eating from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. It was the one thing that God told them not to do. So Adam had sinned. God decided it was time to talk to him about it. Adam's response was, it was the woman you gave me. Who gave me the fruit and I ate it. So Adam was not only blaming his wife, he was also blaming God. And I'm sure God thought, Really, Adam, are you twelve, blaming somebody else and expecting me to believe it? But
0: it isn't the only story like this. Abraham, he lied about who his wife was and said that she was his sister. He did this because he was he feared for his life, and they were in a foreign land, and there there were these thr- he thought these strangers would kill him just to get to Sarah. And so in Abraham's mind, it was perfectly fine to put his wife in danger so that he could live without fear. Never mind the cost that his wife would pay. She could have been raped, tortured. Perhaps even death could have been the price Sarah might have paid. But Abraham didn't care. Here, honey, I hope you don't mind that I put your life in danger to protect mine. My guess is that at least at one time or another, you have had relationships like that in your life where those who are supposed to love you are the ones who hurt you. And if you haven't, you will. There are many of us who are broken due to the misery that relationships have brought us. A broken relationship between a parent and a child. A spouse or a person who cheats on his or her partner. A friend who betrays another. A person's constant disapproval or criticism. A boss's dislike toward you that creates a stressful work environment for you. You are treated less than by somebody. And I could go on. We were made to be with other people, but we weren't made to be destroyed by other people and we need to know how to cope with things when things like this happen.
1: Rabel talks quite a bit about relationships actually but what's interesting to me is that it talks specifically about what relationships are going to be like in the last days. This is mentioned in the book of 2nd Timothy in the third chapter. And it says this You should know this, Timothy, that in the last days there will be very difficult times. People will only love themselves and their money. They will be boastful and proud, scoffing at God, disobedient to their parents, and ungrateful. They will consider nothing sacred. They will be unloving and unforgiving. They will slander others and have no self control. They will be cruel and hate what is good. They will betray their friends, be reckless puffed up with pride and love pleasure rather than God. They will act religious, but they will reject the power that could make them godly. Stay away from people like that. So let's get the first thing taken care of right now. I'm not going to tell you that we are in the last days. Making that call is way above my pay grade, and frankly, I'm glad it's not my job to make that call. I've heard too many people make too many bad calls in relation to this And I, frankly, I have no desire to join them. I distinctly remember a pastor in 1991 who said that we were not going to see the year 2000 because Jesus was coming back before then. Oops, I guess he was a little off on that one, wasn't he? Here's one thing that I do know about the end of days. We're closer to it now than we were before.
0: But... We can learn by observing others that we are seeing more people acting in the ways described in these verses. It states here that people will be lovers of themselves and money. Are there any persons more miserable to be around than those who love only themselves and their bank accounts? There really isn't. Have we ever seen a time where there are more people scoffing at God or who love their pleasure more than they love God? I don't think so. There seems to be tons of those who are betraying their friends and pride is seen as something destructive. For these are all descriptions of people in our current day, and they're all descriptions of people who are in love with themselves first and foremost. When people are in love with themselves first, they do not care about others, and they are absolutely miserable to be around and can be very hurtful to those around them as well.
1: It goes on to say in this passage that people will be unloving and unforgiving. They will slander others and have no self-control. They will be cruel and hate what is good. You know, the media is good about encouraging this type of behavior, especially social media. Making up lies about someone with who they might disagree with in in hopes of defaming that person. Slanderous words, for example. Calling the January 6th rioters terrorists. That's slander. Calling others racists. That's often slander and pinning people one against the other. Liberals against conservatives, vaccinated against un, mask wearers against non, by hearing derogatory, defamatory language constantly, affects people's behavior from the very top down to the ordinary person. There was a story about the guy who peed on the countertop at the fast food restaurant because he didn't want to wear a mask. Or you've probably seen multiple times, there have been parents who have been yelling until their faces have turned beet red because they're yelling at a school board meeting because they disagreed with what the curriculum was. These people may have good reasons to be upset, but there's definitely no self-control here. We've got the man who is kicking the woman on the streets. Later on, we found out why was he doing this? Because he didn't like her race. There's a perfect example of cruelty. And then we have the Texas abortion law that just passed, that everyone is attacking. Here's a perfect example of hating what is good. The good in this case, protecting innocent human life. And if you have a problem with protecting innocent human life, maybe this is a good time to take inventory of your life. And what in the world is making you think that this is a bad thing? Or how about being unforgiving? Our culture is immersing itself in being unforgiving. Cancel culture is all about being unforgiving. And what is cancel culture? Cancel culture is when somebody decides they must destroy another person simply because they don't like what that other person believes or says. And what's amazing about this is usually this involves something that was fine 10 minutes ago, but now it's a sin that must be eradicated. This is what happens when you have a culture that rejects Christ. Christ is the epitome of forgiveness. We are in a culture where forgiveness is gone. Why? Because we are in a culture where most want Christ to be gone. So what's the result? You must capitulate. You must be demolished. You must be destroyed. You ever been in a relationship like that? Where the person had zero inclination to forgive? Where they were treating you like cancel culture treats sums? That's a painful way to live. It's almost as painful as the next one that's listed, betrayal. They will betray their friends. Notice it doesn't say they will betray their enemies. It's not possible to betray your enemy. You expect that your enemy is going to attack you, but you do not expect that your friend is going to attack you. And that's why it's called betrayal. One way I've heard this said is that for someone to betray you, they have to be close enough to kiss you.
0: So if this is the way that people are going to be, then we are bound to get broken by their actions. And the question is, what then do we do? And I think the answer is found in what David in the Bible did. And we'll be covering David more in a couple of our later episodes. But if you're unfamiliar with David, he was the king of Israel and he was getting hit on both sides. These two, there were two people who were betraying him at the same time. His son Absalom was trying to take over David's kingdom. And to make matters worse, David's confidant Ahithophel, what a name. And I thought Dietrich was a bad name, but Ahithophel?
1: Diedrich's an awesome name. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, tell yourself, keep telling yourself that. And was the one who was leading Absalom, David's son, in this his mission. And so David not only had his son betray him, but his close friend, who knew all of David's secrets, was the one guiding his son in this endeavor. And I'm sure that David felt like he was a human version of the Titanic going down with no help in sight.
1: What David had to say about this gives us an incredible clue on how to deal with betrayal being hurt in our relationships. It's amazingly simple, but it's also hard to do. David did what some people do to deal with pain in their life. He wrote a song about it. The words of this song show us the answer to dealing with betrayal. These words are found in Psalm 55. Listen to my prayer, O God. I do not ignore my cry for help. Please listen and answer me, for I am overwhelmed by my troubles. My enemies shout at me, making loud and wicked threats. They bring trouble on me and angrily hunt me down. Fear and trembling overwhelm me, and I can't stop shaking. Oh, that I had wings like a dove, and I could fly away and rest. I could fly far away to the quiet of the wilderness. Does
0: this sound like how you have felt? Obviously, it has. At some point, we all have felt like everything is falling all around us. It's happened to me, like I shared earlier. It's happened to Dietrich, it's happened to everyone. We are so beaten up by those who are supposed to love us that we wish there was a way that we could fly away from our life and start over. But we know that is not a possibility. And there might be one difference, though, between your agony and David's. David was crying out to God for help. You may not have done that yet. In fact, you might have thrust your fist at God and shouted at him, I don't believe you care. Again, you're not the first and you won't be the last. Here's the great thing to know, though, about that, is that your anger at God does not change his love
1: for you at all. you don't believe Lennox, then well, I want you to consider Romans chapter 8. This, it says, Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity, or are persecuted, hungry, destitute, in danger, or threatened with death? No. Despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. And I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love, neither death nor life, angels or demons. Neither are our fears for today or our worries about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. If that doesn't tell you that God loves you, then your heart is simply not open to knowing his love right now. And I pray that that changes and you see who God is. I want to return to what David had to say. He said he was being overwhelmed. What happens when you're overwhelmed? You're broken. It feels like there's nothing that can fix to you. When this is the case, do what David did. Call out to God. Call out to the one who loves the broken. Call out to the one who has more power than you or I do, and ask him for the strength to deal with the brokenness that happens in life. David knew this, and look at the words of his song later on. Morning, noon, and night, I cry out in my distress, and the Lord hears my voice. He ransoms me and keeps me safe from the battle waged against me. Though many still oppose me, God, who has ruled forever, will hear me and humble them.
0: We want to leave you with three things here. I heard someone say this, and I want to pass this along to you. Broken people recognize their need for God. I want to say that again. Broken people recognize their need for God. Sometimes it takes hitting rock bottom or going through this broken relationship for you to see how unequivocally you need God in your life. Also, accept that you are not the only person to have had a broken relationship or to have had this kind of betrayal happen. The enemy tries to get us to think it is just us. It's nothing personal. It's nothing against you. So don't believe that lie. But in order to receive help from God, you must surrender it to him because he is the ultimate authority and God can keep you safe in the midst of this betrayal and strife. He is the one who has ruled forever and he will hear you and take care of you. He has promised, and I reiterate, promise that a life that is devoted to him will be one that. Experiences overwhelming victory as we read earlier.
1: If you aren't convinced, then I want you to listen to our series, The Ultimate Treason. This is where we talk about what it means to live for Christ. He is the one who has sacrificed his life for yours. He is the one who can free you from the pain of betrayal. He is the one who can give you a life of overwhelming victory. If you desire a life like that, then start it out by simply like David did, call out to him for help. Psalm 34 says, The Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He rescues those whose spirits are crushed. When he says it, he does it. I've never seen him fail. And what's amazing is that he acts like the total opposite of the world. The world rejects those who have been crushed. The world rejects the broken. It's God who rescues those who are broken.
0: Second thing I want to leave you is healing can be instantaneous through God's power. But most likely there will be a restoration process that might take weeks months, and even years, like I experienced, a period of time where it takes to work through those hurts caused by others, depending on the severity of the damage done. You need time to sort out those injured thoughts and feelings, and you need to do it with the right people around you. So remember, give yourself time to heal and focus on the positive thoughts, not negative. Go easy on yourself and don't rush this healing process. Psalm 147.3, a verse that has spoken to my heart, he heals, he heals the brokenhearted and bandages their wounds. Like we said before, the world pitches what is broken, discards what is damaged, but with God, it is the total opposite. You have the almighty God, the God who is in charge of billions of people stopping when you're broken to bandage your wounds. And that's just truly amazing to me.
1: And lastly, Hebrews 10, 24 says this, Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. Broken people can also help others. Many times the things that we suffer through, like broken relationships, can be used to help others around us. God can use this for his glory and to draw individuals to salvation and to build his kingdom. It is so important that we share how God has helped us in our time of brokenness and betrayal. There is a purpose that God wants to bring through these hardships. I'm not talking about someone who's been abused physically or sexually. God never wishes anyone to suffer. However, if we let him, we can be just like David and turn good out of a terrible relationship. Be a part of the solution, not the problem. And let's be kind and love one another.
0: I hope something that was said has encouraged you today. Remember, let's motivate people to acts of love. And an act of love that you can do for Dietrich and me right now is to tell someone about us. Share Our Truth Is Now Treason Facebook page. Or just write a a positive, encouraging word to truthisnowtreason at gmail.com. Thank you for listening. And be sure to check out our next episode on I Think My Life Needs Gorilla Grow.
1: Until next time, my fellow traders.